You're listening to Theology and Apologetics with Thomas Fretwell, bringing theology to life. This is Life FM. Thomas Fretwell is an author. He's written a book called Who Am I? Human Identity and the Gospel in a Confusing World. It's a very interesting book. We've been running through the various points of this book over the last few weeks with Tommy here and there. It's a book basically that discusses what does it mean to be human? What is it that makes us so unique? Is there any real meaning to life? Thomas joins us on the line now. Thomas, thanks for joining us once again this morning. No problem. Thanks for having me back. Great. Tell us, give us a very brief overview before we launch into the book. What's the environment like in England at the moment with the coronavirus? I imagine there's as much uncertainty there as there is here. Yeah, I'd say it's it's pretty similar. Things are changing day by day and and the PM's giving announcements and updates of new restrictions every day. So yeah, um, work is cancelling and people are a little unsure and they're not not sure where we're going to go on a daily basis but obviously we have we have faith in the lord and we know we know our future in that sense so we're trying to as a church it's a good opportunity for us to to rise up at this time indeed who's in control the lord the lord indeed jesus is in control thomas tell me uh, who am i human identity and a gospel in a confusing world uh, tell us we, we've been running through the various points of this over the last few weeks we'll start this week of chapter seven there are of course 10 chapters in your books chapter seven we'll start this week shakespeare's romeo and juliet another love story tragedies you've kind of you're using these as a kind of a, a, a backbone of your point in this particular chapter tell us why you you decided to uh, use this as the launch point for your, for your chapter and the theme of this yeah, of course. So, so th- this chapter now is following on speaking about the identity of of people who have been born again. So this is people who are redeemed. We looked at the the subject of redemption last time, and this chapter is called "I Am Loved." But one of the things I wanted to kind of make clear in the early part of this chapter is that when we're speaking of "I am loved" from a biblical point of view, it can be very different to the concept that we have of love in our Western world. So I chose what is probably one of the most classic love stories, Romeo and Juliet, and I introduced with a little, a little one of the dialogues within that 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 play by Shakespeare, just to introduce us to the concept of love that we often maybe think about in the Western world. What I wanted to do was try and lay a theological foundation for the biblical concept of love by juxtaposing it with maybe this sort of romanticized idea of love that we have in the Western world. Because we we read about love, we sing about love in songs and movies and poems and plays. But often the the image that is portrayed in the culture of love is is so heavily influenced by a, a kind of romanticism grew out of the 18th century, really. It's it's a love that focuses on feelings, emotions, and passions, but this is not the, the full concept of, of biblical love. So that was really the reason why I, I used that play in the introduction to this chapter. Okay, very much in the Western world, and particularly in movies and so forth, we hear of this thing, almost this kind of a, this consumerism love where we move from one person to another to a person. But in terms of overall, the whole things of... Uh, you know, how do we actually manage love in terms of the relationship between us and God? I mean, the Bible speaks about, you know, the parallel between God's relationship between him and us and a relationship between a husband and a wife that he calls for the husband to be willing to lay down his, to to display his love for his wife to the extent that he will lay down his life for us. But overall, how does what the what God tells us about love and what God has shown us by, lay, by laying his son to die for us on the cross, how does that compare to what we experience and what we view and what we're told is true in terms of media and films and so forth? 
Yeah, well, this is a massive, massive question. And I, I spent quite a lot of time in the book on this chapter because I felt it was so important. So if we start with the concept that we see in the, in the modern world to do with love, we talk about falling in love, don't we, which is a mm -hmm. phrase that we often hear. But logically, if that if that's the fullness of our understanding of love, then what is to stop the concept of falling out of love? I mean, there isn't really the, the two logically go together. So this, this shows us that passion and desire are all well and good in the one sense, but only when they are given legitimate expression within the environment for which they were created. And this is the marital uh, environment. If you're talking about marital love, of course, there are there is family love and other sorts of loves, too. However, it kind of reminds me of a quote that C.S. Lewis said that love is not affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. And we see Lewis here really getting to the, to the crux of the issue that we cannot just be led by feelings and, and falling in love and romanticism as, as the, the idea is often told. We have to have a deeper understanding of love. And we can look around the world and we can see sort of the pain that's caused by a lack of love, broken families, lack of fatherhood in the home and all these different things. And you remember Jesus's words. He indicates, in fact, that a sign of the end would be when people's love grow cold. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very important that we understand love. And there are times when love may be hard. Love may require sacrifice. It may be something that we don't actually feel like doing. In some instances, love will actually go against your, your feelings. But foundationally, and this is a point I wanted everyone to understand, love is a commitment and an action. Mm -hmm. It's a commitment and an action. It must be practical, but it must be based for us as Christians in theology. And sometimes this love will be accompanied by intense emotion and passion. But at other times, it will require laying down of our own desires for the sake of their, the ones we are loving. And this is what we see in the picture of the gospel, isn't it? And can, if I could just share with you an illustration, one of my favorite illustrations from church history, when I'm always uh, talking about this subject, and that's the, the missionary Lottie Moon. Uh, if, mm -hmm. if you've ever heard of her, some okay. of listeners may have. She, she was a, a wealthy Virginia native, and, and at the age of 33, she left for China to serve as a missionary uh, with the Southern Baptist Convention. And her passion was seen in a letter. In 1888, she wrote back asking for support, basically. And this has become known as the annual Christmas offering. We call it, even today, it's called the Lottie Moon Christmas, uh, Christmas offering. It's one of the largest sources of funding for foreign missions. But what's so interesting about this story is that Lottie Moon, in fact, died of starvation, hmm. penniless and emaciated on a ship on her way back to America. Okay. And the point is that she gave all she had, her food to the starving children during the Chinese famine. This is how, why she was dying of famine herself. She was giving it to the, the children that she was ministering to. She literally gave everything she had in service of Christ, even her life, because she knew her life was not her own. And this just gives us, a, I think she just mirrors the love of the Father so beautifully here, because when, when we understand that the Hebrew word for love is, is ahava, and it actually comes from a root that means to give. You mm -hmm. see, in our culture, we often think it's twisted. We think that love is about what we get, what we take, what makes us feel good. But the meaning of love is to give. Love is ultimately about giving, a giving of yourself for another. Lottie Moon gave everything she had. And in so doing, she displayed the love of the Father in an amazing way. Because what's the most, probably the most well-known verse in the New Testament? It says, for God so loved the world, John 3.16, that he what? He gave. Mm -hmm. And you see that connection here between love and giving. 
And this is the Christian under this is the Christian perspective of love, and it's so rich and so much more fulfilling than simply the the romanticized version that we have in the culture today. Interesting, because we were speaking, of course, about the parallel between the relationship between a man and a woman, a man and his wife, and the relationship between God and his church, between Jesus and his church. So basically, of course, if we're given this this image of a relationship that is basically, you know really practically un- unattainable because it's unreal it's unrealistic and so forth very much of course the argument as you discussed in your book it could well lead to a lot of insecurity and anguish resulting from dysfunctional relationships because it's based upon the ideal that is not realistic it's not truthful so it's at the end of the day unless we have an understanding of sacrificial love I, I have no doubt as your book describes it's going to lead to a lot of hurt and inner turmoil yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and this is a big issue. And we, we see the ramifications of this in our culture all over the place, for, from right in every institution, every home. And the world seems to be, like we've talked about previously, going going sort of this global identity crisis that's all playing in uh, to these issues. And, and fundamentally, we can probably, if we, if we wanted to do it biblically, trace it all back to this concept of love, because undergirding the entire gospel story is a God that loves. You see, the Christian perspective is on love. It's the most comprehensive understanding of love ever recorded. It gives both the source of love, the definition of love, as well as pointing to the ultimate demonstration of love. You remember that verse in 1 John 4, where anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is an amazing declaration of the Christian faith there. God is love. Love is not just something he does, it's actually something he is. It emanates from his very being. It's one of his attributes. And this is what one of the things that sets the Christian faith and the God of the Bible as absolutely unique amongst world religions, because it claims that God is love. And this is just the ramifications for this are so huge as we see a world, as Jesus said, where the love does seem to be growing cold. But we have the message of the gospel, which is a demonstration and a proclamation of a God loves. And as we, we just talked about the, the times that we're living in now with the coronavirus, again, this is a wonderful time for us to just proclaim the love of God into a world that is confused and fear-ridden and panicking. Uh, the love of God, perfect love casts out all fear. Interesting, you were speaking about, earlier on you mentioned about falling in love. Of course, there's also the possibility of people falling out of love. I remember before I got married, somebody gave me some great advice that described the relationship between a man and a woman as basically, it could well be said to be, there's three phases of the relationship. Phase one is where you fall in love and everything's euphoric at the very beginning. Phase two then is when the rubber begins to hit the road and you realise, well, look, you know, my poor wife had to discover that I snore at night and so forth. But then in phase three is that if you get through that hard time and you, you're both working on it, actually you end up falling falling in love much more than you did in phase one. So I suppose the thing is, as you were saying, it's about hard work, pursuing love and having sacrificial love. And you're saying giving is the key thing, no doubt, to give. Uh, tell us, if you would, in chapter eight, you made an interesting point. You spoke about Charles Dickens, of course, just to uh, paint of her course, to, to give rise, to, to paint a picture of how, how the world is a broken place. Uh, why? Tell us more about Charles Dickens and your choice to actually speak about his books. Yeah, so I just find the writings of Dickens uh, quite fascinating, Oliver Twist and many of his other writings, because he was actually a social activist at the time, and he was using his literature to describe and, and cause the world to sort of come to attention of what the situation was actually actually like. And he, he's obviously writing about Victorian London, the, the slums of London, the workhouse laws that had just been passed, and the, the terrible poverty that children were living in at this time. So the, the chapter that I'm looking at in, in Chapter 8, so after we've moved from sort of looking at the way that 
the love of God is attested throughout the world and through the Bible. It's one of the best authenticated facts of ancient history in the sense that God's love was demonstrated on the cross for us. And the cross is testified to by many ancient historians. We then move into looking at another area of Christian identity, which is the fact that we are adopted. So again, I use the writings of Dickens just in the beginning of that chapter to set the scene of who is taking care of the children at this time. So we use Dickens as his writings describe beautifully for us the state of London at that time, you know, the rookeries, the slums of London, where you had 12 to 15 people living just in cold rooms with no running water, sharing. There was the raw sewage running through the streets. In fact, I think it was 1854 that Parliament dubbed the Great Stink which is when the Thames was so polluted with you know, so raw sewage, basically, that you could smell it throughout the whole of London. Mm. Uh, and the wealthy people used to spray their, their curtains with perfume to try and get rid of the stench that was coming through London from this time. This is the idea of what we had. Obviously, you could imagine that the disease was rife. Children were the most affected, most, you know, there's huge uh, infant mortality rates at this time. And the, the sort of the tag I have to start talking about adoption is I, I look at then who was responsible and who really rose up at this time to start you know, addressing these issues. And, and primarily it was nonconformist evangelicals, people like Lord Shaftesbury at the time, people like Thomas Bernardo, who started his orphanages. These were the ones who, who actually went onto the streets and started doing practical things to take care of the children. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's all about Christian. You mentioned Christianity. It's mentioned about love. Love should be always at the core of who we are as Christians, be it in our relationship, be it in our marriage, be it in our platonic relationships or whatever relationships we have. But of course, it's about love is about giving, as you were saying. Of course, but speak, tell us how you speak about philanthropy and, of course, charitable works as part of our Christian faith. Yeah. So, so remember, we said love is a, is a commitment, but it's also an action. So, so we have this practical demonstration of love. You remember that famous love passage in 1 Corinthians 13? You know, love is patient, love is kind. And it goes through and describes the very practical nature of love. And this is something that Christians are called to live out in the world. This, this is part of our mission as Christianity. So that is why I believe we see we saw in, in Victorian London, it was these evangelical Christians who were motivated by their Christian faith. And primarily, I believe they were motivated by one of the most tr- uh, precious truths that we have. And part of our Christian identity is that we're not only love, that we are adopted. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 1, it says he predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ Jesus himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Mm-hmm. See, this is the, the specific teaching that when a person becomes a Christian, we are adopted into this intimate, loving family. And we get to use that unique designation for God, Father, utterly mm-hmm. unique that we get to call him Father. And from this, we see that God's heart is always for the fatherless. The Bible declares that God is a father to the fatherless in Psalm 68. And it says that Christians should defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. And this is why you see this happening. It happened in Victorian London. It's happening all over the world today where the church is fulfilling this mission. And God wants to be a father to us. We are now his sons and daughters adopted into that family. This is why remember the Apostle John. He says, what kind of love has the father given to us that we should be called children of God and so we we are and because we have received this love we are to give this love mm-hmm. and we are to go out and use that and practically live out the commands of god the, the apostle paul calls us living epistles it's that phrase that we find in the bible not written with pen and ink but written on our hearts with the spirit of god this is a very real reality that the christian church has to fulfill especially as for times like this 
Interesting, I was reading a story in the Bible uh, to my kids, actually, just earlier this morning, it was about David and Goliath. David being the small man who, comparatively to Goliath, was very, very weak. But Goliath was this big, proud, strong man, very much who thought he was invincible. Of course, he ended up being defeated by David because David had faith in God and God. David stood in faith. But nevertheless, society today tells us that we should, in effect, be this Goliath, be this big, proud, strong man, this big, strong, proud, independent people who are self-reliant and so on. But of course, very much as your book speaks about, you know, our society is moving away from showing uh, kindness and justice to the weak and afflicted, but very much teaching us to be, to be this almost kind of artificial reliant. But nevertheless, there's a yearning within us for fatherhood, for somebody to stand for us and whom we can lean upon. Tell us about how your book speaks about how this is integral to the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the gospel is the answer to a to a fatherless generation. In 2 Corinthians 6, God says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me. It's just, you see, relating to God as father, understanding this, this principle of adoption, I believe, is essential to correctly grasping the uniqueness of Christianity. And it's a message that the world really needs right now. As you said, things out there are are sort of people are moving away from the, the basic Christian ethos that we've had in this society, basic things like love. I would say forgiveness, too, in our culture. It seems we've we've forgotten the art of forgiveness, one mistake, and that's it. Someone's written off. We really need to be displaying the love of a father in a real and tangible way to those people who do not know it. And thus, this is why we will be as that city on the hill that Jesus talked about, a light shining in the darkness, and people will be drawn to it in this darkness. Again, it, it all comes back to this concept that underlying the whole of Christianity is a God who loves and wants to, to you know, put his love upon people. And this is why the Apostle Paul goes out and says, I beg you, be reconciled to God mm. so that he can love. He can love. This is it. This is a message we have. And it's a message that's just as relevant today as it has always been. It's interesting in today's society, grace seems to be less and less a priority. Grace almost seems to be something to be shunned. But yes, there seems to be a deep inner yearning with us from grace. I remember reading a book before and the book spoke of how films like Forrest Gump can display can be, be so popular and be such create such a yearning within people because these films and these stories display grace and tell stories of grace, how grace was bestowed upon one. It's interesting to note you speak about adoption in your book, but of course it's interesting to remember as well that this was a choice. God chose to adopt us. God chooses us to love us no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter where we are. He loves us more than we could ever imagine. So it's, it's quite interesting to, to put that in context, no doubt. Yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, grace sort of goes against the natural instinct, I believe, that humanity has, because we always kind of feel that we need to earn it. Like, and we, we fall into this trap, even as Christians, I believe, as our relationship. Oh, God won't accept me. I'm too bad. Or, or oh, I've been really good. I've been following the rules. God needs that. God should bless me. But both of these things just show a misunderstanding of grace. It's completely unmerited, undeserved favor that Christ would come and die for the sins of the world. For as you know, even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is just a pure example of God's unmerited favor towards us. This is the heart of the gospel. And and again, the more we understand that, I. I believe the more we will be able to display that in our own lives through the power of the Spirit as we live out the gospel in this world. Interesting. In, in us as human beings, we seem to have a yearning for true identity, particularly men. Uh, our identity seems to come from who we are in terms of what we do with our career and so forth. But identity is very much linked into men and women, male and female. The identity, interesting, I remember a key verse for me in the Bible was when Solomon 
sorry, when King David spoke to his son Solomon and David was about to pass on the throne to his son, he said to him, look, be strong, act like the man, observe all the decrees and laws of the Lord your God so he will bless you in all you do. So, but he was making the point to, for David to trust, if David was making the point to Solomon to trust in God no matter what. Your Chapter 9 speaks about true identity. Tell us about this in terms of the Christian life. Yeah, so so it's kind of chapter nine and ten are kind of very similar, and, and I'm really summing up. Every, it's it's a it's an argument. We've brought it to conclusion now. We've travelled through the journey of looking at what man is, fallen man, and then we've moved into redeemed humanity. Looked at some of the benefits that the Christian gospel have, and now we're kind of going back to some of the first questions we raised. Where do we find our true meaning and purpose and calling? And and really, in chapter nine and ten, the true secret to understanding your ultimate calling is to realize that it comes from God. Mm. In 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And the point about this chapter is that every single one of us who has been redeemed by Christ is given the title of an ambassador. And that is an amazing title. This whole concept of being an ambassador means, you know, we we talked in earlier interviews about the the statistics that nine out of 10 young people in this country don't believe their life has any meaning. Again, the gospel speaks to this because when you are redeemed, you're made an ambassador for Christ. An ambassador is a special diplomat sent by another state to be a representative in a foreign country. And we are here, we are now citizens of this world, but we are also citizens of the kingdom of God. And we have a mission to represent the priorities, the principles, the morals, and the God, the king of this kingdom as we are here on this earth. That is one of the highest callings that any human being can have. And it's something that the Lord bestows on everyone who believes in him. That is a message that young people are going to need to hear. Everyone is going to need to hear this message. It's quite, it's amazing, quite frankly, and it's a high responsibility. This is why we are exhorted to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, because we are here to represent him, to display and love what he loves, hate what he hates, and these sorts of things. It's such a high calling and it ultimately comes back to that question who do we say Jesus Christ is and the way we answer that will then dictate where we go with the rest of our lives can you imagine as you're speaking I was thinking to myself can you imagine what effect it would have in society if every single member of the church of the Christian church if they were ever asked by whoever it is be it in a job interview or be it in, in, in on the street or be it anywhere they were asked who are you and instead of answering look I'm a carpenter I'm a doctor I'm a dentist I'm a whatever it is they were to say I am an ambassador for Christ I am a new creation the old is gone the new is here I am loved more than I can imagine what effect would this have in society overall well, I mean, really, we, we hope that this would be the seeds of revival being sown. Uh, you know, if, if our mindsets are so tuned towards being an ambassador, then if we put that first before everything else, then it doesn't matter what we're doing in life, whether we're in ministry, whether we're in a, a, in a nine to five job, whether we're, we're parents, all these sorts of things will, will be put secondary to that principle of being an ambassador for Christ. And therefore, by doing that, it actually elevates the position of, of, of what we're doing in life so that in every act, every deed, every speech, every conversation we have, we are representing Christ's kingdom. And I believe when we start to do that, that will actually be the seeds for change and, and revival in this country. And, and it's something we want to pray for, that the Spirit of God will put that sort of heavenly mindedness into us, yet at the same time, in a very practical way as we live it out in this world. It's about not only, of course, seeing, but doing it, having a heart that will 
bring forward actions and not just words indeed. Tommy Fretwell, or perhaps I should say Thomas, Thomas Fretwell, uh, your book is called Who Am I? Human Identity and the Gospel in a Confusing World. Where can people get uh, their hands in your book? Yeah, so there's a number of places. Uh, firstly, you can go to creation.com and order it from their website. It's it's nice to order it through through the creation.com ministry there. Uh, you can get it available on Amazon. And I'd just, just like to say, if you're interested, uh, we'd love it if you could leave reviews, good reviews for it on Amazon and places like this. You can also hear more about um, my work on my podcast. I run a podcast called Theology and Apologetics. You can find out about this on my website, thomasfretwell.com. Very good. It's, it's a, quite a fascinating story and I do appreciate it. And I thank you for your time over the last few weeks. We're going through your, your book chapter by chapter. It's been it's great to get an understanding of what it is and some, some amazing, some truly inspiring points as well. Thomas Fretwell, Who Am I? Human Identity and the Gospel in a Confusing World. Thanks so much for your time and thanks for joining us. No problem. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. You are listening to Life FM. You've been listening to Theology and Apologetics. This podcast is supported by your generous donations. To help us continue to bring you great content, please visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash theologyandapologetics. If you've been blessed by this podcast, please leave us a review and remember to connect with us on social media. For more resources, please go to theologyandapologetics.com. Thanks for listening.